Hi, my name's Clayton, and you're listening to the Isaiah 43 podcast, where we explore how God has formed us, redeemed us, and how He calls us today. Each week, we will journey through Scripture to understand all that God has done and what exactly His call is for our lives today. Welcome to week 32. This is an apologetics week, where we will combat the world's lies with God's truth. This week, we are beginning something different. This month, September, we'll be discussing sin each week and how a Christian should respond in the face of it. We'll still have our scheduled apologetics and Bible study weeks, but each week we'll be geared towards tackling sin somehow, ultimately leading up to our third special guest at the end of the month where we'll discuss something different. Unfortunately, some of the topics we'll be discussing are very mature. For example, This week, we will discuss sexual immorality, especially some prominent ones in our culture today. Now, here's the challenge. I know I have some younger listeners, and the topic we are discussing today is a very, very adult topic. For parents and guardians of those younger listeners, strong caution is advised. If you're okay with your children hearing about this topic, I suggest you do as you feel led. With that said, I think the only way we can tackle a topic like this is with prayer. So let us pray. Father, we come before you today and we ask for your guidance. We ask for your your wisdom, Father, because this topic is not an easy one to discuss, Lord. It will make many people uncomfortable. But Father, it is something that needs to be said, Lord. It is something that your word directly condones and does not allow for at all, Father. We know that this is wickedness and evil, and that is the absolute opposite of what you are, God. Lord, we pray that you will give us hearts and minds that are geared towards truth and for your love, Father. We ask that you will forgive us of our sins as we have all fallen short, and we just ask that you have mercy on us, O God. We cry out to you today, not because of our righteousness, because we know that we have none. But we cry out because of your great mercy, O oh God. Please be with us as we do this study today and for the rest of this month, for as long as this podcast exists, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may wonder what this topic is today and how we'll handle it. We're talking about sexual immorality and what that is, but we also will talk about overcoming it with scripture and advice from biblically-minded teachers. We need to start out with what sexual immorality is and why it's a problem in today's world. Well, our friend John MacArthur sums it up nicely. In the MacArthur New Testament commentary on Ephesians 5, he says, It should not be surprising that the misguided quest for that kind of love leads inevitably to immorality and impurity because that kind of love is selfish and destructive, a deceptive counterfeit of God's love. It is always conditional and it is always self-centered. Not concerned about commitment, but only satisfaction. Not concerned about giving, but only getting. It has no basis for permanence, because its purpose is to use and to exploit, rather than to serve and to help. It lasts until the one love no longer satisfies, or until he or she disappears for someone else. Parnea, immorality, refers to all sexual sin, and all sexual sin is against God and against godly love. It is the antonym of encrateria, which refers to self-control, especially in the area of sex. When Paul spoke before Felix and his wife Derisa, my bad, discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, 
Felix became frightened and said, Go away for the present, when, and when I find time I will summon you in Acts 24. Felix has stolen Drusilla from her former husband and was therefore living with her in an adulterous relationship. The sexual self-love of which Paul spoke pertained to lustful passion, as Felix understood. The message to the governor was that he was living contrary to God's righteousness by refusing to disciple his sexual desire, and for that he was subject to God's judgment. Loss of self, sexual self-control leads to its opposite, which is immor- immorality and impurity. Acarthasia, impurity, is a more general term than porneia, referring to anything that is unclean and filthy. Jesus used the word to describe the rottenness of decaying bodies in a tomb in Matthew 23. The other ten times the word is used in the New Testament, it is associated with sexual sin. It refers to immoral thoughts, passions, ideas, fantasies, and every other form of sexual corruption. Contemporary sex madness has even found its way into the church. The influence of the lustful world has been so persuasive, and the church so weak and undiscerning that many Christians have become convinced that all sorts of sexual excess and impurities are covered by grace and can be rendered morally safe if engaged with the right attitude, especially if some scripture verses can be twisted to give seeming support. But immorality and impurity cannot be sanctified or modified into anything better than what they are, which is wickedness, a crime against the holy God and the loving Savior. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1-5, through 5, and chapter 6, verses 13-20, through 20, Paul shows that there is no place for that in the Christian life. End quote. As always, MacArthur does a great job speaking biblical truth. He gives us an excellent definition, and utilizing the scriptures, he shows us how God's view, how God views this sin. He also explains why this is important today, but I want to take it a step further. Yes, MacArthur is right that the church has been infiltrated with sexual immorality. But let me ask you this. Do you know just how much? Let me give you some dark statistics. According to the Barna Group and Covenant Eyes, excuse me, 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites. 47% of American families, let me say that again, 47% of American families say that porn is a problem in their house. It is very clearly a problem, and it is ruining families. 55% of married men and 25% of married women say that they watch porn at least once a month. And this unsurprisingly leads to the next statistic that says adultery, marriage infidelity, increases 300% when someone watches pornography in the marriage. It means that 56% of American divorces cite a spouse watching pornography as a reason for the divorce. And what about the kids? Well, 11 is the average age that a kid will be exposed to pornography. And 94% of children will see porn by the age of 14. And obviously, these are horrible statistics. They should make everyone so disgusted, and I hope that they do. But all that is based on American families and not necessarily those identifying as Christians. So how has sexual immorality and pornography infected the church? 68% of men and over 50% of pastors claim to watch porn regularly while 87% of Christian women claim to watch porn, though how frequently is not stated. Christians, both male and female, between the ages of 18 and 24, 76% of them say that they are actively and regularly searching for porn. 
And of course, this is going to affect the church. 57% of pastors say porn addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregation. And 69% say porn has negatively impacted their church in some way. Now, all that is just statistics for pornography. That's not to mention anything about other acts of sexual immorality, such as sex of any kind before marriage, sexually provocative photos, or anything else. That is certainly a problem, too. However, unfortunately, these statistics are not as readily available. We do know, however, that according to the Pew Research Center, 57% of Christians say that sex outside of marriage between two people in a committed relationship is sometimes or always okay. At the same time, 50% of Christians say that casual sex, sex outside of marriage between two consenting people not in a relationship, is always or sometimes okay. And furthermore, according to another article posted by worldreligionnews.com in 2014, over half of smartphone users, which by now is essentially anyone and everyone, admit to sending or receiving sexually charged content at some time. So yeah, we can see that all this is a huge problem, especially for the church. I didn't mention the health problems that porn and being sexually active before marriage causes. I didn't even go over what this does to our mindsets about people and how this affects our relationships or our perspectives of one another. This is the absolute bare minimum. But very clearly, we see that it's not good. It's, it's not good at all. The simple fact of the matter is this. If we want a healthy life with good, lasting, and God-honoring relationships, then we can absolutely have no part of this. If we want God's church to be vibrant in the world, and we want to see the love of Christ flourish, then we have to put a stop to this. And ultimately, if we want a relationship with God, this has to stop. The question becomes, how? You have to look at your life, addictions, and habits. Engaging in prayer or reading your Bible during times of temptation is absolutely great, but you may not be able to do that in every situation. Even relying on an accountability partner to help talk to you during times of temptation is great, but it might not always work. It's the same with certain blockers that will block your source of temptation. However, the Bible tells us some very interesting information on how to avoid these situations. There's someone we'll read about here shortly that shows us exactly what we need to do in times like these. I want us to read and focus on these three primary passages in our scripture readings today. First, we'll join Joseph as he teaches us what to do in times of temptation as we read Genesis chapter 39. And then we must heed the warnings of Solomon as, we, as he warns against immora- immorality in Proverbs chapter 7. And lastly, we will read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 9 through 11 that while we would have that we would not have un- inherited the kingdom of God under the rule of sin, if we turn to Christ and repent, we'll be saved and we can inherit the kingdom of God. So, let us turn to Genesis 39. We'll be reading the entire chapter from the ESV or English Standard Version. So once again, Genesis chapter 39 from the ESV. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and attended him. 
and made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. Because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He has put everything that he has in my charge. He's not greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men in the house was, was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in, his, in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that, she, that he had left his garment in her hand and fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you had brought among us came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words of his wife spoken to him, This is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge, because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Now, what do we need to take away from these verses? Well, Joseph shows us exactly what we are to do when tempted with immorality. If this were a sermon, we would break it down even more in depth and show step by step what Joseph did and his effects of his purity. However, we don't have the time for that. We have much more to get to today. So for the sake of brevity, we need to know a few key things. First, in verses 8 and 9, we see the first step in what we should do when faced with temptation. We need to remind ourselves and others what God has done for us. God has brought us from nothing and made us into his own sons and daughters. God has saved us from the shipwrecks we've made of our lives and set us on solid ground. Joseph tells Potiphar's wife all of this, but he also reminds himself. Joseph reminds himself and her that doing this would be sinning in the eyes of God, and he would not be pleased with this course of action. Sometimes just stating these out loud will help you stop the battle. You've already won and your temptation will flee. But there are other times, just like in the case of Joseph, that reminding yourself audibly is simply not enough. Sometimes that temptation comes back with a vengeance. What about then? Well, verse 12 tells us what we should do. Joseph ran away. That is exactly what we should do. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says that God will make a way out when there is temptation. Even the smallest things can be a way out. 
but God will always provide a way. What we have to do is flee from temptation. Run as quickly and as fast as you can from it, because listen, you are not strong or stubborn enough to fight it on your own, and you will fail. This is why you have to run. Ironically, there is only victory of running in this case. Again, we can get to so much more in Genesis 39, but we have to keep moving. We come now to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 7, and again, we'll be reading the entire chapter. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablets of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend, to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress, with her smooth words. For at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. Behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, willy of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home, now in the streets, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows, so now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linen, from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He had took a bag of money with him, and at full moon he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him, and with her smooth talk she compels him. All at once he follows her, as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me, and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside from her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many a victim she has, has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Now, why do I want to read this? Well, this chapter of Proverbs tells us that committing immorality, whether porn or some other kind of sexual activity, leads to hell. Sheol is simply another word for hell. It leads straight there. And as we will see in 1 Corinthians in our next readings, this is backed up again in the New Testament. There is another lesson here in Proverbs that we really need to learn. The writer of Proverbs says that they watched a young man walk into this area where this adulterous woman was. That gets this guy in trouble. He went to the area where he knew he should not have gone. He walked into an area that would tempt him. And that's a lesson for us too. We don't even need to go to the places that would tempt us. We know ourselves. And we know what would lead us into temptation. Maybe it's a website, being alone in a room with someone, or simply something else entirely. But we know exactly what it is, and we don't need to go there. You don't need to talk to that person or bring your phone to that place. You don't even need to put yourself in a situation that could be bad for you, even if it's just the slightest possible. You don't do it because it leads to death and hell. Now, our last scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 9-11, through 11, where the Apostle Paul writes, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, 
neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers who will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We see here in these verses that all these sorts of acts will not inherit the kingdom of God. Any engaged in these will simply not get into heaven. It is all sinful behavior that God considers sin and wickedness. But the great hope in all this is that despite the struggle, despite the shame, despite the self-condemnation, if you believe in the Lord Jesus and repent of your ways, then you will be saved. You will be justified before God as if you were Christ himself. It's like Charles Spurgeon once said, you stand before God as if you were Christ because Christ stood before God as if he were you. you must be washed though. You must be made new and put on your new self as a child of God and totally forget these th- old things in order for that to happen though. Now, again, how do we do that? As we've already talked about, we can flee and avoid these things that might tempt us, but is there anything else we can do? Ted Shimmer of the Freedom Fight an organization dedicated to pulling men, women, and couples out of sexual immorality and addiction and bringing them to Christ, has a solution. He tells us that the more we read the Bible, the more we will see that it clearly has principles and truths that apply. Lust and immorality wages war on our minds, souls, and bodies. Being sexually active and moral and addicted to porn increases our doubts and decreases our religious activities, which is entirely understandable. Our sin separates us from God. Yet the opposite also has the has the effect. Shimmer states that those who actively partake in Bible study, read their Bible, and engage in prayer, decrease their immoral sexual habits. Meanwhile, Whitney Hopler, a writer for Crosswalk.com, writes in an article titled Break Free from Sexual Addiction about 11 steps that a Christian can follow to break free. We won't go over all of them, but there are two that I want to note for this episode. She writes that Christians need to come out of isolation. Addiction, especially sexual immorality, thrives in isolation. There's a reason why sexual activities, including that of immorality, happens behind closed doors. Hopler writes, quote, Ask God to give you the courage to admit your weaknesses and faults to others who can help you. Confess your struggles to God and to pray for his help to overcome shame, pride, and the fear of rejection so you can open up with some others. Remember that you're not alone. Many other Christians struggle with sexual addictions and plenty of people will understand the issues you're facing. Know that it's impossible for you to overcome your challenges unless you have the support and encouragement of others. Expect that if you don't expose your addiction, God will orchestrate circumstances that will eventually expose it anyways since he loves you too much to continue to harm yourself and others. Start meeting with either an accountability partner or a small group every week. If you need help locating a small group in your area, visit www.blazinggrace.org for more information. End quote. Secondly, Hopler writes that we need to be willing to make the necessary sacrifices. No sacrifice, no victory, as the line goes from a popular 2007 movie. She writes... Quote, be willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to keep lust from controlling you. Realize that it's worth it to give up whatever you need to build up healthy relationships with God. End quote. And that is absolutely great advice. 
If we want to stop this in the church and see the church improve, we must start with ourselves. And this episode has been different than our usual apologetics weeks. Instead of giving you rebuttals to popular claims, I've given you advice and help to prevent you from giving to sexual immorality. But why? Well, when we face the statistics, it's disturbing and frightening. It's terrible what's happening to God's people and their relationships with one another, as the world tells them that this kind of behavior is good for them. Yes, they actually do tell you that pornography and other forms of sexual immorality are good for you. You can find papers published on Oxford Academic that actually promote this. People talk about all the time how the church has no power anymore, how the church is full of hypocrites and doesn't have any real love. But maybe that's because we've allowed this terrible sin to pollute the church. I hope this this episode will serve not only as a help to someone, but provide you with a starting point. If you are called to build and edify the church as we are, we have to get rid of the mold that has crept in. You know what a Christian should do when tempted with impurity, and you now know that the church faces a problem. So the question becomes, what are you going to do? What are you going to have have to sacrifice to have victory for yourself, for others, and for the church? What are you going to do about your relationship with God? In the meantime, I want to leave you with this. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8-9, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Think on these things, my friends. And until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. God bless.